Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Colazzo. Have you ever been tempted? (laughs) Have you been tempted lately? I have some good news for you. The temptation is a common experience for every person that has ever lived. You're not the first, you won't be the last. If you're being tempted, you're not alone. You're in good company. You can number yourself among the greats. Because even Abraham, Moses, even Jesus was tempted. There are so many real-life biblical examples of folks who didn't resist the spell-like trance that unchecked temptation can cast upon us. Here are four examples that come to mind. Temptation is as old as the Garden of Eden. Remember that Eve was charmed by the serpent. David was spellbound by Bathsheba. Samson was entranced by Delilah. And another guy who perhaps isn't as well known is Achan's temptation in Joshua 7. Before the nation of Israel moved in against the city of Jericho, they were instructed to not take any of the spoils. Well, after the battle of Jericho, Achan was the only man to disobey. Listen to Achan describe what it was like to be under temptation's spell. He said, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound, and I wanted them so much that I took them. I guess that's why it's been said that gold is Satan's fish hook. Speaking of fish hooks, I borrowed this little uh, um, fishing pole from my nephew. He's a teenager, but I guess they, they gave him this one so it's, it's more transportable, it's more portable that they could. And uh, Pastor Josh was making fun of, he, fun of my size by saying, you know, that was a normal size fishing pole he was holding. <laughs> I'm not a fisherman. I'm not, I was born in the Bronx, so I don't know. So I actually had to watch a, uh, a YouTube clip on how to cast this thing. So apparently you gotta pinch the, the string right here and then flip this thing up like that, and then you. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I'm not no fisherman. And you flip this thing back. But you know what it's like with temptation. Now it's not working. Oh, here we go, here we go, here we go, yes. You know how it works? I don't. (laughs) You put the bait on the hook, you cast it, and temptation begins to tantalize you, excite you. It's calling to you, seducing you, slowly wearing down your self-discipline and self-control. Have you ever taken temptation's bait? Temptation is like that forbidden treat when you're trying to control your eating 
or those lame excuses and lies we, we tell ourselves when we're trying to establish an exercise routine. Temptation can be in the form of that impulse to go on a shopping spree or check our phones when we've made a commitment to limit our spending or media consumption. And as it allures us, as it calls us, we, we give in, we take the bite, and we're hooked. But you all know that that's really not the way temptation works these days. The reality is that temptation is more like this. Temptation never comes at us one at a time. It's all around us, everywhere we look, baiting us to defy God's will, to disobey God's word. And at first, it seems harmless. I'll do it. It seems harmless. I'm going to say it. I'm going to phrase it in this way. No one's going to get hurt. But as you fantasize about what it would feel like to act out upon it, it feels right on every level, doesn't it? Emotionally, mentally, even physically. And did you know that there's even a physiological component to what makes temptations feel so good? Yeah. When you're tempted, there are four brain chemicals, dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, and oxytocin, that work together in unison to maximize the pleasure of that temptation, to alleviate pain, to amplify happiness, relieve stress, intensify satisfaction, and minimize discomfort. And at least for that moment, when you've taken the bait, you think you've escaped until you get God. What, what has been your experience battling temptation? How have you responded when tempted? Are you discouraged by your, what seems to be your inconsistent ability to resist it? Does it feel like temptation has a chokehold on you? It's nagging persistence driving you mad? Now, I'm not planning on giving you an, another behavior modification strategy. Many of us have done that for a long time. And the more you do that, it looks and it feels more like you're white-knuckling it, hanging on by thread, wondering, how long can I hang on? How long can I keep this up? And unfortunately, that just doesn't generate the freedom of the gospel, the freedom that the gospel promises. It, it, and that's that lifestyle of hanging on and I can do it in one more and you can become miserable trying to resist, trying to obey God. And what happened to the life abundant and the joy that Jesus said we can have? And so my hope is that this morning you leave here better equipped with a refreshed understanding of how to live out the implications of the gospel when you're tussling with temptation. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure the verses will be on the screen over my head so you can follow along. Matthew chapter four, the first 11 verses. 
This is Matthew's take on when Jesus was tempted. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is one of those written accounts that I wish I could hear Satan's tone when he said, if you are the son of God. I wonder what was behind that. Was he saying, since you're the son of God, prove it. Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Is that what it sounded like? Or, or was it more of a trick question intended to undermine and plant uncertainty about what God had said? Come on, really? Are you really the son of God? Well, then turn these stones to bread. We can't hear his tone, but here's what we know for sure. That the devil purposefully timed his temptation after God had clearly identified himself to Jesus as his father. After God had unmistakably affirmed Jesus as his son during his baptism. When you look back at Matthew chapter 3, that's where his baptism happened, and boy, was it a beautiful occasion. There was Jesus and John the Baptist surrounded by crowds of people. The clouds parted, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descend, and God's voice, you are, this is my son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. Wow. Immediately after that, Satan comes in and begins to question, to undermine, are you really God's son? Are you, is he really your father? And so these temptations are more like jabs. They're jabs carefully aimed at creating doubt about God and what God had said. Is what God said at the Jordan River true? Is he really Jesus' father? Is Jesus really his son? These stabbing temptations are also an attempt to poke holes in what God had said he would do. Does the father love him? Is the father really pleased with him? And so let's not diminish this temptation to be merely about food and hunger. Temptations test our trust in God. 
Temptations ultimately test your trust in God, in who God is, who he says you are, and what he says he'll do for you. So just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in Jesus' place. 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, and by this time, you're not feeling so hot. You're depleted, literally starving to death. You're deflated by the harsh wilderness conditions. You're physically weak and mentally vulnerable. But you have this power to make yourself feel great. You can literally turn stones into bread. What would you do? What's your next move? In the past, what have you done when you faced a temptation to do something that would make you feel great? Because if we're honest, we've all been there before. We all have. You think it's random that when you're tempted, it doesn't feel like God is being a father to you? How can you be his kid if you want to do fill in the blank? God's children don't want to do those things. You should be ashamed of yourself. So, why don't you do something to make yourself feel great? You feel horrible. Go ahead, sneak a peek. Look again. Go ahead, hit that. Drink it. Do it. You know how great it will feel to give them a piece of your mind? These temptations are a test of our trust in God and who he is, what he has to say about you, and what he can do for you. Now, don't misunderstand me to, to think, I'm, say, I'm not saying that being tempted to take matters into your own hands is wrong. The question is, and here's where temptation, the corruption of temptation comes in. How will you satisfy that desire? How will you satisfy that desire within you to remove the shame, fear, hurt, disappointment, or dissatisfaction and feel great again? Will you settle for an inferior fix? Or will you trust your heavenly father and believe what he says about you? You're my kid. You're my child. Will you trust that as a father, he looks out for the best interests of his children and that he can be trusted to determine if that desire will be satisfied, when that desire will be satisfied, and how that desire will be satisfied? Temptations test our trust in God. But what do we see Jesus do in this first temptation? Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, in the scriptures, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In response to this temptation, Jesus is quoting to him, hey, here's what the scriptures really say. You're asking me to turn these loaves to bread, these loaves to bread in order to satisfy a hunger. But the scriptures, here's what they say. But what were the words that God had spoken to Jesus? As Jesus says this, of course he's referring to every word in the entirety of scriptures, but what were those precise words spoken to him by God at his baptism? You are my son. I love you. I am pleased with you. 
And so even though Jesus had the power to turn stones into loaves of bread, he could know, he knew this was a decoy. He knew that the option that Satan was offering was an inferior imitation, luring him away from what God had for him. Instead, he knew that by gorging himself on God's affirming words, that he would receive not just the strength to resist temptation, but he would receive something better. This is something that I've recently discovered about my own moments of temptation. I've discovered that if, if I pay attention, if in those moments I don't run in fear and hide in shame, and if I stay curious during those moments, that those yearnings within me that are longing to be fulfilled, that itch that begs to be scratched, that craving that aches to be fed, it can reveal the deepest desires of my soul which only God can reach and satisfy. I remember one time, I don't, it was so long ago, this was like early when I was first married, kids just, I don't necessarily remember what I was being tempted with and what the temptation was about, this, the details, but I do remember how God came in and I felt the Lord's presence to just you know, rescue me from blowing it. But there it was, like, a, like bait at the end of a hook, it was dangling in front of me, and it was being drawn to it, desiring it, battling it, turning away from it. And what caught my eye was this postcard that somebody had sent me. It was magnetized. It was hung up by a magnet on my refrigerator. And if you imagine this, there was a picture of a, it looked like a man and his son. They were both shirtless. And if you're looking at the picture, the man was, had his back into the picture, and the baby was over his shoulder, and they both had these bandanas on. It was a black and white picture. And on the bottom, the caption said, you are my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. At that instant, I don't know what happened, but it was just like, you're experiencing this temptation. These words are for you. And it filled me with this strength, it filled me with this confidence that I didn't take the bait. And as I processed that experience through the lens of what I recently learned, even though I felt like hiding in shame, in that dark, tempting moment, I was receiving from God what he knew I really needed and wanted. I needed a reminder of who he was. Yes, in the midst of your temptation, I am still your father. As you're struggling there, you're battling it, and you want to run and hide, you are my son. And I am pleased with you. As I, my soul feasted on the banquet of God's word, I was strengthened. Not because somehow I had this, you know, I ripped my shirt open and there was this t-shirt with a big S underneath, you know, saying super saint. Because I wasn't. I received something better than just a super saint status. In that moment, what I received was his love. I was loved. I was wanted. 
I knew I was accepted by him. I don't know about you. I don't know what it's like for you when you're being tempted. You're disappointed. You feel disgusted and can't believe that. There it goes again. I'm going to, it's going to. But there's nothing more invigorating to me when I'm being buffeted by temptation than to be reminded, I am your father. You are my son, and I am pleased with you. That's why I believe that diminishing temptations to just itches that beg to be scratched, illicit desires that you're nursing or cravings that you want to feed, that's so short-sighted. Take it deeper. A temptation is a test. It's a test of your trust in God to be who he says he is, to, be who, to tell you who you are. It's a test of your trust in God. So how about you? How do you do? How did you do the last time you were tempted to take matters into your own hands? Maybe it sounded like this. Listen. They hurt you. So you deserve to behave that way. You know how great it will feel to get back at them. Have you ever been tempted like that? Don't wait. Come on, you like him. He likes you. Go for it. Your heavenly father can't be trusted to satisfy your desires to feel great. He just wants to keep you from feeling great. He doesn't have your best interests in mind. Now is the time to take matters into your own hands. How about next time you're tempted? Instead of running in fear or hiding in shame, lashing out in anger or shutting down into depression, pay attention. Stay curious. What are the deeper needs and wants that those feelings and reactions are bringing to the surface? Maybe the reason why you're really being tempted is because you desire justice. You want love, real love. And the question is, can God be trusted to meet those needs? Because temptations are a test. Temptations test our trust in God. And if he's your heavenly father and you are his child, then he can be trusted. Will you trust him? Will you believe what your heavenly father is saying about you? You are my child. I love you. I am pleased with you. I know and I care about your desire to feel great. I know your deepest needs. You can trust my wisdom when I tell you that's not wise the way you want to do it. It's not wise to do it at this time. It's not wise in that way. Trust me. That's the true temptation. The second temptation is what's known as a strategy of the devil, as described in Ephesians 6. Notice how cunning the tempter was. In the first temptation, Jesus wielded the scriptures like a sword, and now the devil weaponizes the scriptures to justify why Jesus should throw himself from the highest point in the temple. The temple 
was a place that was central that was central to Jewish life. It was the place where people would gather to worship and to sacrifice, and so it would have been crowded. And you could almost hear the mockery in Satan's sly suggestion. After all, if you really are the Son of God, doesn't Psalm 91 say he'll keep you from harm? Jesus. Do you know how great that would look? Can you imagine the publicity and the popularity that a stunt like that will draw? Everyone will see how great you are because God didn't abandon you when you were in danger. Again, don't make the mistake of reducing this temptation to be just about protection. Because the core of every temptation is ultimately a test. A test of your trust in God. And for Jesus, it was this. Is what God said about Jesus at his baptism true? Or would he have to put God to the test and have him prove himself by jumping? Put yourself in this situation. What would you do? Better yet, in the past, what have you done when faced with the temptation to look great? Because if we're honest, you and I, we've been here before. We all have. Oh, you probably haven't been tempted to, you haven't been teleported to the top of a tall building and tempted to jump. But I guarantee you've been tempted to look great in other ways. Did you hear what he just said? Maybe it sounded like this. Did you hear how she said it? You just got tore up from the floor up and you look like a fool. They didn't give you credit. You just got overlooked for that honorable mention. You were sidestepped for that promotion. You better step up your game because God isn't going to do anything for you. Can you believe what they said in that text? You don't really matter. Nobody cares for you. You give and you give and no one gives back. What are you, somebody's doormat? When, it, when that temptation happens again, how will you satisfy the desire to remove the shame, eliminate the fear, conceal the hurt and the embarrassment? God looks out for everybody else, but you, you seem to be the exception. What, you must be the black sheep of the family because he's got something against you, obviously. Listen, when they ask you about what happened, make sure you frame your response in a way that makes you look great. Put them down, gossip about them, twist the truth, express your superiority so that everyone is impressed with you because you're no chump, you're a champ. Pay attention when that happens. Stay curious, don't run in shame, don't hide in fear. What are the deeper needs and wants that those thoughts are exposing? Perhaps at the deeper level, what you're really craving, what you're really thirsting for is acceptance. Maybe what you want is to know that you're appreciated and valued. 
That temptation to trust yourself in those moments, to trust in your wisdom and your ways of meeting your needs instead of God is real. And that's why I say that temptations are ultimately a test of your trust in God. Can God be trusted to meet your need for acceptance, your need for affirmation, your need for love, your need for appreciation and value? If he is your heavenly father and you are his child, then he can be. This is at the root of every temptation. In the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 3, at his baptism, God told Jesus loud and clear, You are my son. I love you. I am pleased with you. And even this third temptation of Jesus, it was a test of his faith in God, God's character, and what God had said to him. And in this third temptation, the devil makes him an offer that would have been difficult for anyone to refuse. Like, baited, like a baited fishing pole, he dangles power, authority, glory, and supremacy in exchange for worship. Surrender to me. Declare your allegiance to me. I know you came to relate to the people you're going to rescue. That's why you became a man. But it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to go to the cross and suffer. Come on, take the easy way out. This was a test. A test of his trust in God and who God is and who God said he was and what God said he would do for him. Was the Father's approval of Jesus at the Jordan River, was that genuine? Did he really endorse Jesus as the one, the Messiah that was being expected? If so, if Jesus really was that, then he's already king. And what the devil was offering was already his. But here was the temptation. Is it true? Or is the father lying? Put yourself in this situation. What would you do? What's your next move? In the past, when, what have you done when you've been faced with temptation? Because we've all been there before. Is this what it sounded like? Listen, <laughs> you need the money. So does it really matter if you compromise your character for this particular job? At least you get paid. If you want to get ahead, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're going to have to lie. I know you don't feel good about that, but it's the truth. So hide the truth. Twist the truth. Withhold the truth. But whatever you do, don't tell the truth. I know that at this moment, it appears that the wisest decision is to patiently wait. But if you do, then you might miss out on this opportunity. Opportunities like this don't come often, so exploit the situation. Take advantage of that person. Have you ever been tempted in those ways? I have. Press pause. Slow down. Don't run and hide in shame and embarrassment. Stay curious, pay attention. If you find yourself tempted in this way, ask this question, what are the needs, what are the wants 
that those feelings and, re and reactions are exposing. Maybe what you're really desiring is security. Maybe what you really want is safety. Perhaps there's something else. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take matters into your own hands? Or will you? Can you trust God? Because that is the real temptation. Temptations test our trust in God. So yes, even though there's an itch to scratch, there's a, an illicit desire to nurse or a craving to feed, at the root of the temptation, even this one is this, the temptation to not trust what your heavenly Father has said to you about you. A temptation to not believe that you are his child, that he loves you and will take care of you. But will you trust his fatherly wisdom? That like a father looking out for his children, he knows that what you're considering, what you're wrestling with, the decision you're trying to make, what you're being tempted with, it's not wise. Don't do it. It's not wise at this time. You can trust me when I tell you. Be patient. Wait. It's not wise in this way. Try my way. As we come to the end of the third temptation, we read that Jesus said, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. How this temptation concluded was nothing like how his baptism concluded. And just like you, last time you faced temptation, Jesus was being tempted there with no crowds around him, no parting clouds, no descending dove. There was no voice from heaven. All we see in the, in the temptation story is God's man, like you in his frail humanity, believing, trusting, being confident in the Father's words to him and using God's words to strengthen himself. Are you being tempted? I have good news for you. Even Jesus was tempted. And through his example, we see that it's possible to not give in. How did he do this? What we learn here is not some temptation management system. Look away. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Do this instead. You know what? You have to go to these meetings. Read this book. Listen to this sermon don't say that. Pray this instead. Implement this idea. Install this product. Unfortunately, these tips and tricks and techniques don't generate gospel freedom. And it's not a good representation of the abundant life and joy that Jesus said we can have. Let me explain what I mean. You have to start with the gospel. The gospel is the great news, the exceedingly great news that God rescues, that God accepts anyone who without excuses or conditions repents of their sin and trusts that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to forgive their sin. As soon as you believe that, God gives you a new identity. He declares you to be a new person instantly. And just like at Jesus' baptism, that gospel, it validates who you are. You 
are God's child. You are his son, his daughter. That gospel, it affirms who God is to you now, your heavenly father. And if that is who you are, if that is who he is to you, then that infers that you are loved, you are cared for and accepted by God, and you can take that to the bank. All of that happens immediately. It doesn't happen eventually when you clean up your act, but instantly. It's not delayed until the day that you feel it to be true. Your feelings in this moment are irrelevant. It's not true when you decide to believe it. It's not even a process that happens as you get more skillful at running from temptation. No. This transformation that's activating your life and soul is so powerful that it would be accurate to say that you are born again. Signed, sealed, delivered, completed, nothing lacking. You are a new creation. And so this is the fresh, the refreshed understanding of how to live out the implications of the gospel when you're tussling with temptation. Because of the gospel, because of this acceptance, because of who you are and who he is and what he will do on behalf of his children, you don't have to hide. You don't have to run in shame when you face temptation. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are fully accepted, approved of, and applauded. He's cheering for you as he sees you battling that temptation. You see, when you run and hide in fear or in shame, that doesn't help you experience the freedom and the joy-filled, abundant life that the gospel promises. When you look at temptation through that lens, that gospel lens, here's what you see. It corrects your vision to help you to see that you are perfectly positioned to face temptation from a place of confidence instead of insecurity. You can face that temptation and endure that temptation from a place of peace instead of panic. Power and not weakness. Here's what the gospel tells you. As you face temptation, as it relates to your relationship with God, as you face temptation, the gospel is telling you, you are safe. You're secure. Because you're safe and secure, you can afford to be patient, pay attention, and be curious. What is my temptation Revealing about what I really want and need. Don't be fooled by superficial answers. Oh, I know. I want revenge. I want money. I want power, stuff, pleasure, popularity, position. Listen, those are the tempting, shiny objects that the world, Satan and the flesh, dangle in front of you to allure you. Those things might satiate you for a moment, but they'll do nothing to saturate the deep needs of your thirsty soul. See, your areas of temptation are exposing a hunger so deep within you that only God and the gospel can fill. So here's what, you, here's what happens. Here's what you'll discover. 
that if instead of running and hiding in shame, instead of trusting your own wisdom, your own way, your own philosophy, what you think is popular, what's easiest, if you feast yourself, your mind and your heart, on God's affirmation through the gospel, that you'll receive not only the strength to resist temptation, but something better. You see, when you anchor yourself and tether your soul and your mind to the truth of the gospel, that he is your father, he cares for me, he cares for my needs that this temptation is exposing. He loves me. He is with me. He hasn't abandoned me. Those truths, what you'll find is that he will provide, what God will provide for you is so much better, so much fulfill, so more, more fulfilling and more satisfying than anything that that temptation promises. And so as you make much of the gospel and make much of Jesus, and as you fill yourself in those truths and realize, man, God wants to satisfy those deep needs of my soul. And it's so much better, so much more appealing, so much more satisfying what begins to happen to that temptation. It loses its appeal. I mean, why would you satisfy, I mean, I'm going to use this illustration, but please, I know some of y'all like beer better than champagne, but, but why would you satisfy yourself with beer when you have, can have champagne? Why would you satisfy with ground beef when you got filet mignon? And that's what happens when you gorge yourself in the promises of God and what he says about you and what he says about who he is. And what gives you that right, what gives you that, that access? It's the gospel, the good news that God rescues and saves those who believe and trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross to rescue them from their sin. Amen? And so, Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you how it gives us a fresh perspective, a refreshed perspective on this temptation that we face. Lord, that we don't have to come at it from a position of weakness, anemic, and frailty. But even in the midst of it, you love us, you accept us. And what you have to offer, Lord, to satisfy those real deep needs of our soul that that temptation is exposing is so much better, so much more fulfilling, much more satisfying than anything that temptation would that temptation would offer. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.